When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And a very good morning. Welcome to Mornings here on SEN. Matthew Cox filling in for you today, the third day of the new year. Pleasure to be with you this morning and a big morning to come on the McCafe menu. Trent Thomas from Media Week is going to join us. It's just been made official. The rights, the cricket rights will be extended through until 2030-31. Seven West Media, Fox Sports involved in that. So Trent Thomas will help dissect. It looks as though there's going to be less Big Bash games that will appear on the television and as part of the fixture as well, shortened by around 18 matches. Um, the extension of the domestic broadcast rights with a partnership through the Foxtel Group and Seven West Media, it stays largely the same apart from the less BBL matches. So we'll get our teeth stuck into that with Trent Thomas a little later on. Aussie captain Pat Cummins will join us in the lead-up to the pink test at the SCG No doubt we'll try and get out of him, or maybe it might happen beforehand, the selection news. Will Lance Morris play? Will Josh Hazelwood be a part of the final 11? Who gets the nod, Matt Renshaw or Ashton Agar, after they were elevated into the squad? Does Marcus Harris get another opportunity, given that he has still been with the squad as well? And where does it leave Scotty Boland? Well, uh, I'll try and get that out of Pat Cummins when he joins us a little later on in the hour, and... Can you get your thoughts on that? We'll open that up in a moment for you on one three hundred seven three six seven three six, or you can send through a forty winks temper text on oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Southeast Melbourne Phoenix Alan Williams is going to join us as well. Caleb Jewell was part of a magnificent performance from the Hobart Hurricanes last night. He'll jump on for a chat a little later on in the program as well. And already alluded to the pink test, Glenn McGrath will join us. It's a fantastic initiative at the SCG, and I think it's—I think we can say that it's now known more as the pink test than it is the New Year's test. Does that agree with you? Either way, Glenn McGrath will join us uh, after eleven o'clock this morning, and Anthony Rivado from the New York from New York will uh, chat to us about the Giants. Uh, an incredible turnaround in fortunes. For them, given a couple of lean years, the first time that they are back in the playoffs since 2016. So we'll catch up with Anthony Rivado, who is a writer and host over in New York, uh, to chat about that a little later on. But as I said, one 736 736 to give us a call, or you can send through a 40 Winks temper text on 0433981116. Consumer's Choice winner temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. We're hoping to hear about the selection for the SCG test, which... Uh, We may get an insight into that over the course of the next hour, but we wait with bated breath about how this 11 is going to look for Australia. Lance Morris is being widely speculated as being the replacement for Mitchell Stark and all the conversations that have surrounded him being the strike bowler of the side. Ashton Agar to fill in for Cam Green, the all-rounding option, the second spinner option as well, given 
All the reports out of Sydney suggest that it will be a spinning wicket. Matt Renshaw, where does he sit into the equation and where does it leave Scott Boland? Either way, all those individuals will have a role to play in what has been a phenomenal summer for this Australian test team. They have dominated South Africa and, to that extent, the West Indies. What more do they need to prove for you? Because I I feel as if we need to appreciate this test team a little more than what we have been. And on the back of that, have they earned back the respect or a bit of the respect, maybe not all of it, but a bit of the respect that has been lost over the course of the last five years? one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 or 0433981116. Do they need to prove any more? They've annihilated South Africa at the Gabba and at the MCG. And I know that there's concerns about where South Africa sit in the scheme of things, but they were ranked one of the top test teams entering this series. Yes, it is on home soil, and the true test for Australia will come up against India and England a little later this year. But it is a team that you just have to appreciate what they are achieving. And I don't think we're fully appreciating what they're currently doing. The tactics that Pat Cummins used at the MCG to bowl when everyone was suggesting to bat, the confidence that that displayed to be able to take control from the word go at the MCG for the Boxing Day test. It is extraordinary what this team is achieving. And then what will it mean if they continue to dominate with all the changes that are set to be made heading into the SCG test. There's disruption mainly due to injury, but there's players trying to earn their spot in their team. They're putting their hand up constantly. If they continue to dominate in the SCG test, like they have done for a majority of the summer, you just have to appreciate, don't you? Do you appreciate? Do you respect what do they need to prove this Australian 11? one 736 736 or 0433981116. And the other thing I'd like to seek nominations for this morning, there's going to be an opportunity in this SCG test for someone to put their hand up, for someone to stake their claim and make a name for themselves. Who will it be? And in the past, who has been some of those that have come into the team provided a role, exceeded and cemented their role. I don't think Scotty Boland cemented his role, but he could certainly be a nomination after what he's achieved in the last two summers. And you can even think back to last year's Ashes series. Usman Khawaja was on the outer, didn't play up until the SCG test when Travis Head got COVID, came in, scored a couple of centuries and has been back a part of this test team ever since. Marcus Harris got dropped despite a solid knock in Melbourne. Usman Khawaja batted in the middle order for the SCG test and was promoted to the top of the order alongside David Warner when Travis Head did come back in. But Usman Khawaja made the most of his opportunity. What are some of the other nominations that you can think of? Of When someone has gone down, largely due to injury, maybe it might have been poor form, across the sporting landscape, doesn't necessarily have to be cricket. Give us a call. Send through your nominations. one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 or 0433981116 to join in the conversation with us this morning. And against this backdrop, we've got Josh Hazelwood and whether or not he is right to go. The question marks are around his strain 
he seems pretty confident that he's going to be uh, a part of the team. Do you bring we someone back in straight away for, for for just their reputation ahead of someone like Scotty Boland? Here's Josh Hazelwood on whether or not he will be selected for the SCG test. We haven't had the final selection yet, so I'm available for selection, so see what takes uh, see what takes care of itself. Does that big grin suggest, though, that you are blind? Um, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, no. Not 100% sure, but the big grin and the way that he was talking to me would indicate that I think Josh Hazelwood would, will be a part of the test, and it'll, uh, I think it'd be a bit of heartbreak for uh, poor old Scott Boland after what has been a phenomenal start to his test journey. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. John in Port Augusta's on the line. Morning to you, John. Hello, Coxie. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Happy New Year, Happy New Year mate. Likewise. Doing all the yeah, make it safe to run out there in the mighty SDN. Hey, uh, just on um, the cricket, I agree with you, actually. I mean, um, I think it's one of our better sides for... Uh, one of the better, to say that's sort of the best. I mean, it's pretty hard to... It's pretty hard to compare sides from era to era, generation to generation. But statistically, I'm a bit of a stats man. Like, when Australia had two blokes, and I'm not saying they're my favourite, they're necessarily my cups of tea in both um, Steve Smith and um, Lavashane, but they both averaged 60 pairs of sake. I mean, when was the last time Australia had two, two blokes who averaged 60 in the one side? I'll tell you when, never. Obviously, Bradman averaging 99.94. I've read a bit, fair bit about Australian cricket over the years and all the rest of it. You go back to the Invincibles, New Harvey averaged 48. And um, Arthur Morris, the left-hander from New South, averaged 47 thereabouts. I understand that. But Warner averages 47. It's, it's a pretty... I mean, and we know he's not on his cup of tea, David Warner, fair enough. But it's a bloody good side. And Pat Cummings averaged 21 on the ball. Scott Bowen, Scott Bowen, any other time, would be an automatic selection. Uh, the one thing it hasn't got is a great Shane Warne. The one thing it has not got is arguably as good a cricket as I've ever seen. And I like great Shane Warne. But um, aside from that, it's a good side. And not only the statistics that you've pointed out, John, and yeah. the the, yeah. the form that those players are in, but it's even just yeah. the the way that they handle themselves and the the tactics that they employ. I, I the, the the decision to bowl at the MCG when everyone was saying bat, the confidence that was displayed there just to go in and go for it, just to take the risk to back to have the confidence. Knowing that they've got the cattle to be able to form, that, I think that is what we also need to appreciate. Well, that's right. And the thing with Pat Cummings, I can remember the late Richie Benno, the late great Richie Benno saying, bowlers often make better captains because they have to think how to get batsmen out. I mean, um, he, he was apparently, I didn't see him play, obviously, but one, one, of, the, one of the great captains. Imran Khan, I know he's a prime minister, for goodness sake, of Pakistan. But he captained Pakistan to World Cup in '92. Um, yeah, bowlers sometimes do, mate. And I was a very average, honest grafting opening batsman. So I don't know why I'm sitting up for bowlers. Very average, ordinary grafting opening batsman. Very ordinary, may I say. But um, yeah, but uh, they do make sometimes a better captains because you've got to think bowlers, got to think batsmen out and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pat, Pat Cummings. 
whatever you think of him, technically is very shrewd. I, I strongly believe that. And I think he'd be one of our better captains, actually, in time will tell, in time. Especially if his career continues to go on. Appreciate the call, John. You have a good one. Thank you. John in Port Augusta sharing his thoughts. And despite all the distractions that have particularly been around Pat himself over the course of the last six months in particular, you just have to appreciate what they are achieving. They are the number one world test team. And I'm not quite sure whether we respect that enough. One three hundred seven three six seven three six or oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen to share your thoughts on that. There's a whole host of forty winks temper texts that are coming through, so we'll get to those in a moment. But the other big news from uh, across the course of the the night has been Australia's performance in the world of tennis. Alex Demonor he had a victory over Rafael Nadal, Alexi Poprin, Tanasi Kokonakis continuing to perform well in Adelaide in particular for Tadasi. But the men's tennis scene, and that's all without Nick Kyrgios, who's currently back on the sidelines trying to prepare himself for the Australian Open. And regardless of, I I suppose, what what you think of those particular individuals, you have to admire that they are trying their best to give them the best shot at success at the home Grand Slam and the pressure that comes to that. Alex Dimonor had never beaten our number one or two ranked player in the world. He defeated Rafael Nadal last night. Here's what he had to say post that victory. I couldn't be happier that I managed to get my first win over Rafa on this court in front of you guys because you guys are... I think there's no secret that this is my favourite court in the entire world. So thank you guys very much. As you're trying to serve that out, it's completely natural to have all these different scenarios coming in your head. But I tried to think as little as possible. I just said to myself, see ball, hit ball. And <laughs> it worked out. Three six six one at seven five. Alex Demonor registering his first ever win over Rafael Nadal. And as I alluded to, it's the first time... The Demon has been the player ranked number one or two in the world, given that Nadal is still ranked number two at this stage. And I know that there is some question marks over Nadal's performance and where he might feature, particularly in this Australian summer of tennis. But you just have to be buoyed by the confidence that they're displaying and enjoy the form. Yes, the Australian Open does create pressure and an expectation but maybe you just have to enjoy what they are achieving, even though it is not the holy grail. The Demon, Alex Demonor, also had a comment to say about playing for Australia in this new United Cup. Maybe just listen as to whether or not, if you're reading between the lines, it is a little comment directed towards Nick Kyrgios. Whenever I get a chance to play for Australia, uh, I'm a true believer in there being no greater honour than representing your country. So... Every time there's an opportunity, I'll put my hand up. And I love doing it. I love playing for Australia. And I'll keep doing it. I think you can hear the crowd getting behind him too. Just the the, uh, just the, the, the excitement and the joy that he brings to the tennis court. Share your thoughts with it. 
With us this morning here on SEN Mornings, one 736 736 or you can send through a 40 Winks temper text on 0433 98 11 16. Temper, a mattress like no other. It's SEN Mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock. Now, Matthew Cox with you this morning. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Matthew Cox in the chair with you this morning on the McCafe menu. Trent Thomas from Media Week is going to join us after the 9.30 news this morning. The announcement has been made official that Cricket Australia has signed a new broadcast rights agreement with Foxtel and the Seven Network. It is going to see a reduction in BBL matches, so keen to get his take on how it's all unfolded and the, the frosty relationship that it Times has been on display between Seven and Cricket Australia in particularly. So we'll uh, touch base with Trent on that. Australian captain Pat Cummins is going to join us as well across the next hour or so, uh, hopefully with some news on what the team will look like at the SCG. And a little later on in the show, South East Melbourne Phoenix, Alan Williams to join us. Caleb Jewell from the Hobart Hurricanes uh, will jump on the line as well. And Glenn McGrath ahead of the pink test at the SCG to just reveal some of the extraordinary work that goes on behind the scenes with the Breast Cancer Foundation and the McGrath Foundation, the work that they have been doing for 15 years now. But we're talking this morning about appreciating this uh, Australian lineup. And just before I do, a public service announcement for Wally, who sent uh, a 40 Winks temper text to. I've done way too much overtime if I'm listening to you now. Well, Wally, I can assure you it is 25 past nine in Australian Eastern Daylight Time. We'll be back on tradies tomorrow morning, though. Uh, come on, Coxie, you're telling uh, telling up the Aussies. They are playing against some superstar teams. SA and the Windies are below par international teams, so we should be flogging them. But, Peter, well, I think you can argue that they have flogged South Africa. Completing a test in two days at the Gabba, and then what they did to win by an innings and then some at the MCG... That is complete and utter domination for a team that was ranked as one of the top in the world heading into this series. And I get it with the West Indies. I thought after that series, is Australia ruthless enough? Do they attack enough? Do they take the risks? They need to. But maybe it was a matter of time of just building some confidence, easing into the summer, given it has been some time since Australia did play some red ball cricket leading into this home summer. I felt a similar thing after those West Indy matches, particularly the one in Perth. I didn't feel as like we completely and utterly dominated in the way that we should. But we have done that against South Africa. And if that doesn't build the confidence heading towards India and England, I'm not sure what will. Uh, Ryan, uh, Macca from Perth, rather, sent this through. Morning, Coxie. Nothing more to prove from the Aussie cricket team, but how good will 2023 be with a series against India and England. Kawaja will step up at the SCG, due for a big score, and loves batting at it. And it was where he made a name for himself this time last year. Got the call up after Travis Head went down with COVID and has been able to cement his spot. He had the opportunity in a similar way that either Lance Morris, Ashton Agar, Matt Renshaw, maybe... Marcus Harris, although he hasn't been so much in the conversation over the course of the last week. But those individuals will have an opportunity for this test at the SCG against South Africa. An opportunity to cement themselves and make it almost impossible for them to be moved out of the side. 
Having said that, Scott Boland's done a pretty good job at that over the course of the last 12 months. And it looks as though he may find himself on the outer as well. Keep sending through your nominations of players who have exceeded when there has been an opportunity created. And maybe they've been on the outer for some time. But when there's been an opportunity that has been created for them, they're able to succeed and cement their spot in the team. There's an opportunity there in this test match. Keep sending your thoughts through on the 40 Winks temper text 0433981116. And a reminder, you can stream every NFL game this season live on NFL Game Pass. Visit nflgamepass.com. And a little later on in the show, we're going to catch up with Anthony Rivado from uh, New York on the New York Giants and their performances uh, making the playoff for the first time since 2016. Let's get a news update from Anna in the newsroom. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Thanks to Anna in the newsroom. Matthew Cox with you this morning. And we're talking about appreciating the Australian Test team this morning. Vic from Marupna. Appreciate the message that you also sent through on the side, Vic. But I'm loving to see the Australian cricket team rebuilding and regenerating, setting us up well for the future. The team seems pretty cohesive and enjoying what they are doing at the moment. Vic from Marupina sending that message through and I, I think that is what is starting to come out more and more is the fact that they are enjoying themselves and we're starting to enjoy them more and more. I know there's still some negativity but that's more for what is going on around this team and the distractions that have plagued the summer so far. What they're achieving on the field, I think, has to be admired, surely. The other big news of the morning is the BBL is set to be trimmed as part of, uh, well, from BBL 14. It's part of the new broadcast rights agreement that Cricket Australia has agreed to this morning with Fox and Seven. It has been officially confirmed, a $1.5 billion extension for the domestic broadcast rights, so the the essentially the summer of cricket. Uh, Seven will continue to show the all-men's tests, um, a minimum of 23 WBBL matches and 33 of the 43 BBL uh, matches. They've also secured streaming rights for the Seven Plus platform as part of this negotiation. It has been a bit frosty, the relationship. And then it Leaves Paramount Plus and the 10 Network. Where do they sit in the sporting landscape when it comes to TV rights? We're going to catch up with Trent Thomas from Media Week on the other side of this just to go through the intricacies of what this broadcast rights agreement means for not only Cricket Australia, but for the parties that they've signed it with. This is Mornings on SEN. Matthew Cox with you this morning. Thanks to the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Matthew Cox with you this morning. The big news of the morning is that the rights deal, the cricket rights deal, is officially done. Fox Sports and Seven West Media have extended their agreement with Cricket Australia this morning. It will see a reduction in BBL matches. Fox Sports will remain home of Australian cricket through until 2031. All home tests, one-day internationals, T20 internationals, BBL and women's BBL matches we shown live and ad break free on 
Fox Cricket, through Foxtel and KO Sports. And while its uh, normal services resumed on 7 as well, they'll continue to carry the men's test matches and a uh, certain number of games from the BBL. The editor and GM of Media Week, Trent Thomas, joins us to discuss the rights deal and I suppose some of the, the fallout issues that are going to come as a result of this. Good morning, Trent. Do you, do you feel as if this is a, a good deal for all parties involved? Well, everyone's claiming as a win, as they always do, but going through the numbers this morning, like it looks like almost everyone's got a reason to be happy. Like they were able, Cricket Australia was able to get enough money to stick to the platforms they wanted to stick to. I think if they split up the Test Cricket and the BBL, that would have been uh, bad for the BBL. Moving it off seven would have meant going either Channel 9 and being on multi-channels or going to Channel 10, which has a lower base audience. So it's only, I think, Seven's claiming they got a 13% reduction on their agreement paying $65 million a year. And I think most of that reduction is in regards to the BBL where they also offered a revenue share upside on the BBL. So I think Seven's been given a bit more um, flexibility with the BBL, which is what they always wanted. So Seven wins there. They really flesh out their summer schedule without losing, missing out on the tennis to nine when those rights came up a few months ago. They really needed um, the cricket to flesh out the schedule. Like you know, James Warburton went on the record that he didn't want the BBL, but I think financially now it makes sense for them. Um, so he wanted to only go with test matches, and that probably would have meant more night test matches, which probably is a bit too much against tradition for most people's liking. So it seems keeping the status quo seems like the best way to keep everyone happy. I guess the only ones that aren't happy right now is Channel 10. Yeah, and they've also uh, released a statement this morning. We understand the interest in the most cricket uh, media rights process and while Paramount considered the rights on offer and despite reports to the contrary by various media outlets, it became clear following consistent discussions that our objectives and views on the future presentation of sport and the value were not aligned. Where does it leave Paramount Plus? And also by association, the the 10 network, they tried to bid on the AFL rights and were not, well, pushed aside really, given the incumbents have now signed a a long-term deal. Where does it not only sit then, but also streaming for Australia in this country? Well, I think there's one of misconception. My understanding of the situation is both with the AFL and with the cricket, they ended up being outbidded in the end. So there's this story that they've got all this money and they're willing to outbid anyone, but I don't think they actually have the budget to make a big enough offer for someone to take the risk on them. So for them, it kind of leaves them in a status quo, especially summer where they're going to run entertainment programs like The Bachelors or I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here as an alternative to sports programs, which has worked fine for them. I think they, re- I don't think they were as in on the cricket as they were the AFL. I think they saw the AFL as a real transformational deal for them, giving them a ton of winter content and a halo effect with its viewership as well as really helping launch Paramount Plus, which probably would have appreciated the influx of subscriptions. I think... Oh, I think we unfortunately might have lost uh, Trent there at the moment. Trent, have you got us back? You just dropped out there. Sorry, mate. Got you back. Can you hear me now? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think I was just saying it was definitely a seller's market at the moment. So if you've got wares, everyone's going to pay top dollar for it. So it'll be a sport 
at the moment and to have a solid audience that is around the number that cricket has, that's a great time to be that sport. I think interest in the B-grade sports of streamers is starting to go down a bit. It's like A-League and Rugby Union. I realise it's not bringing in the, the broad numbers they need. But sports like cricket, AFL, NRL, those are going to go, keep going up at a premium. So I think NRL is up next in 2027. That number might be um, a record breaker. Trent Thomas, the editor and GM of Media Week, joining us this morning here on SEN Mornings. What does it mean for the frosty relationship that we've been seeing between the Seven Network and Cricket Australia? I understand as part of this agreement that's been reached, they've withdrawn their legal proceedings. It seems like all good. It seems like it's all good in the hood now, right? They um, now that they've got a number that they're happy with, they're happy to move forward and forget. Seven really needed to make this deal from a scheduling and a TV ratings point of view. Even though a lot of the cricket comes outside the TV rating survey, they still sell a lot of ads. And financially, they needed to have a product that gave them a 52-week-a-year schedule to sell advertisers. Otherwise, they were missing a trick. So I think they realised long-term they needed this relationship. Cricket Australia was the same. And they decided to leave the past in the past and just do a better deal. For the future, this seems much more sustainable from Seven's point of view. A shorter BBL season, I think, was super important to that. Um, the fact that they'll have more Australian stars moving forward as well. So Cricket Australia's really come to the table to kind of fix these issues for Seven. So I think that the fact that we've seen meaningful change means they're probably in a good spot moving forward. And this new deal will span five years until the end of the uh, 2031 summer, I think it is. Uh, here in Australia, on the back of the AFL's long-term deals. Are you concerned at any more of the trends that are being signed in these long-term broadcast rights agreements considering the changes in technology? Yeah, well, I, guess we, I think we're just on the back end of a big transformational change. So in the next five years, we'll just see more investment in stuff like KO and expansion. I think Seven has also realised this deal, they've gotten more um, digital rights to 7 Plus, same as they did with the AFL. So I think there's an eye to the future there, but like you said, it's always hard to tell where technology and everything's going to be, but I think that's why 7 and Foxtel want such long-term deals, why the AFL was so long, and this is a pretty long one too, is they trying to safeguard themselves against these things in the future. And I think the NRL deal, again, will be very interesting because that comes two years from now. Uh, well, it'll start being negotiated about two years from now for twenty for the end of 2027, and there'll be a lot of um, conjecture about where the industry is at at that time. Trent, thanks very much for jumping on the line and uh, helping us wade through the announcement this morning. <laughs> You're well, very welcome. Trent Thomas, the editor and GM of Media Week, regarding the new broadcast rights agreement that has been signed between Cricket Australia, Fox Sports and the Seven Network. Share your thoughts on it. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, or you can send through a 40 Winks temper text 0433981116. It pretty much stays the same apart from a shortened BBL season. So share your thoughts with us on that. We'll take a break. Pat Cummins, we're hoping you'll be on the line on the other side of this. Welcome back to Mornings here on SEN. Pat Cummins to join us in the not-too-distant future ahead of the SCG test, the pink test, the New Year's test that commences tomorrow, and you'll hear it right here on SEN at Cricket from 9am tomorrow. And if you are heading 
to the SCG throughout the course of the pink test. Make sure you take your phone and your AirPods along or your headphones because SEN Stadium is launching at the SCG for the very first time. Play by play, no delay. So if you're heading along to the cricket tomorrow, make sure that you do take your phone along with you and listen live to the call team at the SCG. Snapper's in, uh, well, he's in Port Phillip Bay, as he always is. Morning to you, Snapper. Morning, Coxie. How are we going? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, just first of all, I'm glad Channel 7 and KO have retained the rights because as an as a sports lover, I've got Paramount for the A-League. And let me tell you that the quality of the stream is good, but when you don't have rewind or pause or can watch highlights while the game's going on, I can see why Channel 10 got pushed aside and stuck with KO and Channel 7. But the reason I called you was... I love the Australian cricket team, and it's fantastic. But someone made a point last week that Warner and Kawaja, they're both 36 years of age, so they're almost at the end of their career. Who's next? I mean, we had Will um, uh, Pekoski, who was up and coming, but obviously had a lot of concussion issues. The thing with me is I don't know the names of the up-and-coming stars who are going to play for Australia in the next three to four, let's say the next... 15, I'll say 10, 10 to 15 years because... What I'll do, uh, Snapper, I'll just hold you there because we'll, we'll circle back to your uh, your question in a moment. Pat Cummins has just joined us on the line and he's got a very brief time with us. So we'll, we'll jump back to you in a moment. Hang on the line, Snapper. Uh, Pat, thanks very much for joining us here on SEN Mornings ahead of the SCG test. Are you able to give us any sort of insight into what the side will look like tomorrow morning? Yeah, get out there. Um no, we're going to hold fire on that. Um, so yeah, we just had a you know another look at the wicket and um, yeah, pretty pretty sure on our eleven, but we'll um, yeah announce it tomorrow at the toss. What's your impression of the wicket? It looks you know a bit different to probably traditional Aussie wickets. Um, you know, I know SCG's historically kind of renowned for a bit of spin, and I reckon that might be the case this week. There is going to be two force changes. We are we are aware of that, and we know that there are multiple players vying for a spot in the eleven. What's what confidence levels do you have in terms of knowing that these players that are going to be called into the squad are going to be able to do a similar sort of job to what we've seen Mitch Stark and Cam Green do across the summer? Oh yeah, no, we're really confident. Um, you know, two big players that are hard to replace, no doubt about that. But um, yeah, I think we're in a really strong position at the moment with our depth. So um, yeah, whichever eleven players get the nod, I'm sure we're going to do a great job. Um, these conditions, are, I think, will be a good good link into India, where we head over in a couple of weeks as well. What sort of advice would you give to those that are vying for the spot, particularly Ashton Agar and Matty Renshaw, who were elevated into the squad? What's your advice been to them over the course of the week? I think it's you know the same advice to everyone is just uh, yeah you've been picked for a reason just be yourself um, just do it your way we're all here to help you um, we don't want you to try and bowl like Mitchell Stark or Cam Green um, you know just just be yourself so um, yeah yeah good thing about those two guys is they've played Test cricket before um, they've gone back they've you know done really well in um, you know state cricket and in Ash's case for Australia in white ball cricket so. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a step up, but they're ready. Your decision to bowl first at the G, where did that come from? And is it from the confidence that you have in this Australian team being able to perform? Uh, it was you know, purely wicket-based. Um, you know, there's a bit of grass on the wicket. We thought 10 wickets was a, 
um, on offer on day one. Um, whereas, you know, traditionally MCG just gets better and better to bat. So, um, yeah, we weren't scared of batting fourth on that um, on that wicket. And, um, yeah, in the end, um, yeah, pretty happy the call played out well. How great was it to see Davey make some runs during the Boxing Day test? Yeah, amazing. Um, I mean, what a story. In his 100th test, just another chapter in a fantastic career. So, yeah, he, he's been a stalwart for us. He, he's been amazing. Um, so I think he's got over his cramps. He's milked that enough, so he's ready for this one. <laughs> Does he feel as if there's a, a bit of a release off his shoulders given what he's had to be, what he's gone through over the last 12 months or so? Yeah, I, I think, you know, for as, um, as resilient as he is, I think that would be a fair comment. Um you know, he's scored runs all around the world in different formats, but, um, you know, to score or double hundred in test cricket just reaffirms what a star he is uh, in all formats, basically anywhere, anytime. So, um, yeah, he's back to his bubbly self. To be fair, he, he's he been that the whole time. <laughs> he's always chatting and joking. So uh, it's good to, that the runs followed. Where does this South African series rate for you, Pat, in terms of the, the brief career you've had as skipper of this Australian side? The fact that it has been... Complete and utter domination. Where does it sit for you? Yeah, I mean, each series is is a little bit different. Um, you know, each has kind of its individual story. I, I think um, playing at home always just adds that little bit of extra. Um, you know, it kind of really tells you where the team's at. Um, you know, you should be winning, or you know, you feel like you should be winning your home conditions just about every year. And you know, South Africa, especially their batting, uh, their bowling lineups. You know, really strong. Um, so the way we've been able to navigate that, um, stay true to, you know, the style that we wanted to play, gritted out at times, um, has been really pleasing. So it's, yeah, it's right up there. And the preparations for India, that's obviously in the horizon for you. Uh, how important is it in this SCG test to just tinker with various tactics and strategies to prepare you for that series? Uh, well, it's yeah, it's a luxury, um, you know, having a wicket that that might turn. So you know, captaining spins, you know, good good guess, you know, um, experience before we go over to India playing against spin. Um, so yeah, I'm excited that we get this chance to, um, yeah, perhaps you know have a couple of different players that might be on that Indian tour and playing in the Indian tour to get their chance here. Well, Pat, thanks very much for joining us here on SEN Mornings and hopefully you don't get too much of a headache trying to work out your 11 for tomorrow. (laughs) No problems. Thanks for that. Australian captain Pat Cummins joining us here on SEN Mornings. So the the news out of that is that uh, there's still no update on the selection. They're all still vying for their spot. They're all still vying to take their opportunities uh, ahead of the SCG test. So uh, that's the, the news out of... Pat Cummins, the wicket, it does look spin-friendly, is what uh, he also mentioned during our brief chat with him there. So that's the, the situation as it stands at the moment for the Australian cricket captain, Pat Cummins, who joined us here on SEN Mornings. And you can uh, go back and listen to that full chat on the podcast. Snapper, hang on the line. We'll get to you on the other side of the news just to reiterate the question that you were Posing in the cricket rights deal as well. That's been the big story from the morning so far. 
Cricket Australia and the Seven Network and Fox Sports have all agreed to a new five-year deal. So it takes us through until the end of the 2031 summer. So that's the state of play. Share your reaction. There's a whole host of it coming through off the 40 Winks temper text. We'll get to that on the other side of the news with Anna Pavlou. It's Matthew Cox with you on SEN Mornings for Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. Welcome back to Mornings here on SEN. Matthew Cox with you this morning, thanks to the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. You can get involved with us this morning by giving us a call on 1300 736 736, or you can also send through a 40 Winks temper text on 0433 temper, a mattress like no other. Pat Cummins joined us before the news. There's no news on the selection front. They're going to hold off on making a call on who will be a part of the Australian eleven at the SCG, but it is a spin-friendly wicket, according to Pat Cummins, who joined us a little earlier in the show. And the TV rights are also a big talking point this morning. Cricket Australia have signed a contract extension with Seven West Media and Fox Sports. So it basically continues the, uh, the current way that we consume cricket in this country. There's a few adjustments, including less BBL matches. If you want to share your thoughts on any of that or anything else, you can give us a call. one three hundred seven three six seven three six before the news and before Paddy Cummins. Snapper did call us. Snapper, sorry to cut you off earlier, but just reiterate what you wanted to have a chat about. Yeah, no, that's a good coxie. Yeah, so obviously the, the TV, as I said, the TV rights deal is a good call because Paramount is still not up there. I mean, watching the A-League, you can't Pause, rewind, you can't go back to the start. You can't watch, for example, moments, key moments in the game, whereas KO offers all that. So that, that's great news. But as I was saying, Kawaja and Warner are both 36 years of age. You know, I looked at Steve Smith, he's 33. So the top order for Australia are getting to this age now, more Kawaja and Warner, where they're going to retire. And, we you know, we had Will Pekoski uh, who came through and, He's had um, concussion issues and all that. But I look at it and I go, who's the next big star or the next, you know, um, two, three or four top order batsmen who are going to come in for Australia in the next five to ten years? I don't even know any of the names. I haven't heard any names, haven't seen anyone. And it's sort of, you know, when you look, it's sort of like looking at the AFL and you go, uh, for example, I'll give an example. I'll say, you know, Collingwood Pendlebury is going to retire soon, but... Who's next? And then you can name the up-and-coming stars they've got, like the Dacos brothers. Whereas with Australia, we don't hear that. And, and I'm worried, I'm concerned about that. And, you know, who is there that's going to come in once Warner and Kawaja hang up hang up the, the bats and call stumps? And, you know, who's next? And that, that's who I want to see. You know, I, I thought this test in Sydney, I, I said to my mates, I've gone, I would have loved to see the upcoming young batsmen who are going to take over these two stars to come in in this test and show us what they've got. Give us something because right now, I haven't seen it. I don't know if you've seen it or other people have seen it, but yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Who's the next two top order batsmen for Australia to come in the next, you know, we'll we'll say start of the next summer because who knows, Warner and Kawaja might call stumps after the Ashes. Yeah, and I think Warner's already expressed that he may 
finish up with Red Bull cricket, certainly at the end of the uh, Ashes series in the UK this year. It's it's a good question to pose, Snapper, because the Matt Renshaw and Marcus Harris, they're a part of the squad, so they're the immediate ones. They're the ones that are going to get the first crack at being a part of this batting lineup. But again, the, the, the funneling, I suppose, if you, you look purely at, at state cricket, maybe... You know, there's, there's names that are bobbing up there, but those that are around the signing and getting that exposure and experience, there was a period of Australian cricket where those that were selected a, a part of the side were almost fed to the wolves. And Matt Renshaw's even an example from that in the brief stint that he had a part of the Australian test team. And, you know, there was some good performances, but he came under a lot of criticism, has spent a lot of time away from the national side. And then is getting that opportunity once again. Ashton Agar's in a very similar position, although he's not specifically referred to when we're talking about the, the batsman, a part of the lineup to the Australian time and a team. And Kramer from Brisbane uh, sent this through a little earlier. Dunstall, which is the nickname that I've got on breakfast, is it time for Australia A side for uh, a test team and, and bringing back that concept of developing? I know we've got the Prime Minister's 11, but... I think that would help also navigate the, uh, the I suppose, the not the concern, but the awareness of who is going to be next. Because this generation, there is going to be a fair bit of change. And even with the ball, I feel that over the next two, three, maybe four years, there'll be some changes to our pace and bowling attack. So there is some changes and we need to work out who is going to be those that will fulfil those roles. If you've got some nominations, send it through. 0433981116 on the 40 Winks temper text, temper mattress like no other. Appreciate the call, Snapper. And there's also been some very um, similar views expressed regarding what Paramount is uh, achieving at the moment with their broadcast of the A-League and the impact that that would have in them trying to get a bigger sport. We'll go through some of that reaction as well in a moment on the 40 Winks temper text. Mark's in Bacchus Marsh, though, uh, wants to talk cricket as well. Morning to you, Mark. Coxie, my man. Happy New Year, dude. Same to you. Coxie, I think this is a shocking deal for cricket and for the taxpayers of Australia. Why is that? I think they... I think they left money on the table. This is an organisation that goes running to the federal government asking for taxpayers' dollars and millions of it per year to help with uh, cricket development and all these things that they talk about. Now, if they're leaving money on the table, then they then I assume they're not going to go back to the Australian government and ask for taxpayers' dollars anymore because they obviously don't need it. Secondly, I think they've betrayed Australian cricket fans by doing what they've done. Uh, the reason why I say that is look at the Big Bash, for example, the New Year's Eve game. The New Year's Eve game for over 10, 12 years was traditionally always on free-to-air TV. And the other night we had Melbourne Stars versus the Strikers on, on pay TV only. And it was a double header. So there was two games. Both games were on, were on pay TV. And then on top of that, the day before there was two games, both of them games were also on pay TV only. So they've betrayed, they've not only betrayed taxpayers, but they've betrayed Cricket Australia, that is, the executives in charge. They've, they've betrayed the cricket fans that have been supporting the Big Bash, for example, for the last 12, 13, 14 years. How many people thought that they'd be strapping in on New Year's Eve night to watch the cricket, to turn it on and realise it's not on and couldn't believe it? Because it's, it's always been there. Like, seriously, I can't believe this deal is being talked about. This other thing about Paramount not having 
the fast forward, blah, 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 blah. Do you think an organisation with that money wouldn't have the ability to do a software upgrade? Do you really think an American company with all the access to all the computer knowledgeable software people in the States wouldn't have the money to do a software upgrade so they would have that fast forward, so and so and so on? Are you, you know, people bringing that up like the previous call is Snapper, you're kidding yourselves. Honestly, kidding yourself, mate. But I think in, going to do an upgrade. In, in terms of that argument, though, they need a guarantee that there's going to be the revenue coming in to allow them to do such a, an upgrade. And at the moment, if you read into it, there's, there's not the money there to enable to enhance the infrastructure to be able to increase the, the broadcast product. And that's why if they secured a, a, you know, the, the cricket or the AFL, even though that's now been and gone, but they did bid on it, waiting to, to secure this this big product that is going to attract eyeballs that it allows them to make that upgrade? Mate, Coxie, the way I see it's this. If they want to attract more viewers because they, they hypothetically got the TV rights, then they would probably know within themselves, we've already invested X amount of money in the rights. We need to now get a return. We need to fix up the software to make it more modern, so to speak. Yeah. Up to speed with other organisations, they do it. They you know, yeah. it would cost them maybe five or ten million, and they're talking one point. Let's put it into clarification: one point five billion is one thousand five hundred million. Are you telling me they won't spend two or three, four million to upgrade their software when they've just spent over one thousand five hundred million for the rights? But they That's they what need talking about. They need that guarantee though to sign the contract. Paramount wouldn't wouldn't invest in upgrading their technology if they haven't got the broadcast product. Either either way, I think that the overall sentiment that you're providing us, Mark, is one that's being expressed on the on the 40 Winks temper text. But unfortunately, I think this is going to be the reality with sports broadcasting long term. There is going to be the shift away from free to air. And I, I get it on a on a big night like New Year's Eve. Why there's got to be reasons as to why those were selected as games that are behind the paywall. Um, but I think, unfortunately, this is the trend that we're going through in terms of TV rights. Alan's on the road. It's good morning to you, Alan. Good morning, Coxie. Just a quick one. Do you honestly think that at this stage, they don't know who the, uh, the ins and outs are tomorrow, especially when Cummings clearly says it's a spinning wicket. So one fast in... And one spinner in, so Agar or Zamblers, whoever it is, and then you got Hazelwood coming in. Surely, are, are they are they really serious? I mean, there's no way at this late stage they don't know who's coming in. And secondly, I agree with the last caller. I just wanted to say it's about building, and they will come. If you're really serious about getting anything, because the technology is only going to get better and better, so you can't sit on your hands and say, "Oh, we're going to get the rights before we get we get this and that." Most people, like the bloody Qataris did, they built stadiums, six stadiums, and, you know, paid, paid many, many millions in bribes to get, get the World Cup. If these, you know, like Channel 7 and Channel 9 or 10 are serious, they've got to spend the money if they want to get future deals because the technology is not going to get worse. It's going to get more progressive. So having said that, I just, I just want to say that, you know, it doesn't matter where it goes eventually – the TV industry is going to go to all. Everybody has to pay. There's not going to be free TV, I reckon, in 10 or 15 years. So they've got to build that out so they can get the future rights to the future.
sports and everything else. Thanks, mate. Oh, good, Alan. Appreciate your call on the, the team selection. They'd have an idea. They'd have scenarios on selections and who's coming in. I think, as Pat indicated during the uh, chat that we had with him before the news, it's at the moment um, they've just got to wait and see how the, the wicket continues to improve. And I, I agree. Like Companies will spend money on upgrading infrastructure if it makes it a better broadcast product, but you've got to have that guarantee. And right now... 10 Network, Paramount Plus, and their overarching body, they don't have a guarantee of a big sport that will allow them to invest in upgrading their broadcast product. They've got to have that guarantee. That's why signing one of these big deals was so important for them. And it's why Seven have have ensured that Seven Plus are a part of this rights deal. They get greater access on that front too because they want to invest in their digital product. And once they get that guarantee, they're going to be allowed to upgrade it. This is Mornings here on SEN for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. We'll change tack after the break. You can continue to send your thoughts through on 0433981116. But the South East Melbourne Phoenix, Alan Williams, will join us on the other side of the break. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Matthew Cox with you this morning. Great to have Alan Williams on the line from the southeast Melbourne Phoenix who find themselves in an interesting situation. It has been a tough season from him and it's good to catch up with uh, the import for the Phoenix. Alan, welcome to SEN. Yeah, thanks for having me so much. Really appreciate it. A pleasure is ours to have you on the line as well. How have you seen the the season unfold to this point for the Phoenix? There's been a lot going on, and it's been a. Well, I suppose the teams had to be pretty resilient given some of the circumstances. Yeah, you know, um, through a season, a lot of things kind of can take place, and I think we're uh, we're, we're indicative of that. And um, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but uh, looking forward to continuing it out and, and then trying to make this run for a championship. Currently sitting fourth on the table, 12 wins and nine losses. You, you play the, the top of the table team tomorrow night. How have the conversations been around preparing for the clash against the top team of the competition? Yeah, you know, anytime you go against a team like Sydney with the talent that they have, um, it's, it's definitely going to be on our game planning and understanding what we can and can't do, but we're going in there with the mindset to try to get the win, and, and that's what we do with, with all of our games. So. Do, you, do you feel they've got a weakness that you might be able to exploit? Um, you know, I think us playing team basketball and really worrying about the things that we can do well, and that's moving the basketball and, and on offense and then really picking up uh, the pressure on defense is, is going to be big for us in order to, to gain that advantage. Um, but in terms of weakness, I don't necessarily see if they if they have one, but I know that if we can affect the game by, by really picking up our defensive pressure. The, the, the season, you, you'd know this given your career internationally in basketball, it moves so quickly. How do you reflect on the performance against the Jack Jumpers on Sunday and then quickly turn it around to ensure that you're the you're ready to go against the Kings? Yeah, you know, obviously we didn't put our best foot forward uh, a couple of nights ago. Uh, just got to give a lot of credit to Tasmania, their fan base, and obviously their team. They, they play really hard and it's a really tough brand of basketball that we just weren't ready for. And so um, it's, it's on us to go back, reflect, and understand what we did wrong in those games and, and try to improve it for the next one. And the, the good thing about the NBL and is it's a very competitive league and any night anything can happen. So uh, we're looking forward to... Uh, taking our chance up against the, uh, the Kings here pretty soon. So. 
21 points for you against the Jack Jumpers on Sunday. What's what's the learnings for you out of that encounter to help you, I suppose, integrate more into this team that, given it's your first season with the Phoenix? Um, I don't necessarily think it's a lot of integration left for me. I think that um, I've solidified my my role on this team, and that's to try to be a leader in, in any way that I possibly can. And uh, I think more than anything, the takeaways are other turnovers that myself and, and Mitch Creek had, and they just weren't good enough. You know, we didn't play well enough to, to help our team um, when they really needed us. So it's going to be on us to be able to, to pick it up and, and, and really support our teammates and give them the confidence to go out there and play uh, the best basketball, especially when we're down a couple of soldiers. So uh, we got to be better for sure. And I see Mitch Creek was was fairly strong in the comments that he made post-match about his own performance. Was that harsh or is that the kind of culture that you're trying to build at the Phoenix? Is that there's one that you, you're you always striving to be the best that you can possibly be and, and when that's not achieved, you feel a little let down? Yeah, you know, I think that is the culture and obviously he's, he's been here uh, since the inception of the team and the franchise and so... Um, as one of the leaders, he, he definitely takes it hard on himself. As one of the leaders, I do the same for me. So I've only been here a couple of months now. But uh, like I said, I'm, I'm really invested in the team, and I really believe that we can build something special here with Southeast Melbourne. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to finishing out this season and, and really being a part of the, the, the success of this club and franchise and helping to grow uh, throughout Melbourne and Australia. So um, in order to do that, we got to be critical on ourselves and hold ourselves to a to a very high standard. And uh, when that standard is not met, we have to take it on our shoulders and uh, push forward to, to the next one. You've got a very close relationship with Mitch. He's, I think, one of the reasons you ended up coming to Australia and Melbourne in particular. What's he like to be a teammate? Mitch is great. You know, he, he works his, his, his tail off every single day. Um, and uh, really, like I said, holds all of us to a high standard, but it's not a standard that he doesn't hold himself to. So I think leading by example is a, a big thing that, that he and I both kind of uh, hold our hat on. And so when, when that happens and we're able to get everybody else involved, uh, we look like a really good team, you know. And so um, looking forward to, like I said, continuing this, this relationship that I have with, with, with Mitch and, and uh, kind of seeing how far we can take this thing because it's, it's been a ton of fun so far. What, what have you noticed change as he's matured as a basketballer and, and become a, a leader? What have you noticed changed across the journey? Um, and in terms of me, or are you talking about with Mitch? Uh, Mitch, and yourself for that matter. Yeah, you know, I think with experience, you, you gain wisdom. And I think that uh, he and I have both been so many places around the world. And I don't know if it's anything specifically um, that I can kind of point on to, to kind of say our growth has been there, but I just think that understanding um, one that one game doesn't dictate or change the whole season and uh, as long as you're living to fight another day you're going to get another opportunity to go out there and be better than you were the day before and so um, that's a big thing and then also I just think the work ethic you know you, you understand how hard you have to work in order to be successful in this game uh, professionally and so uh, we, we, we can't come short of that at all and so that's why we got to continue to work hard in the gym and, and uh, keep, keep, keep growing. You've played basketball right around the world, including arguably the best league, the the NBA. How do you feel the NBL stacks up in terms of not only what is produced on the court, but also off court? Yeah, you know, I think if you're if you're encompassing all those pieces, the NBL is is right up there. Um, 
from the fan engagement to the media coverage to the excitement and growth of of this 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 league here now it's um it's really something special and i'm I'm really honored uh, to be a part of it and really looking forward to helping to contribute to the growth and and, and expansion of this league not only around Australia but uh, around the world and I think it could be something uh, where it's going to get a lot of respect and a lot of attention from from other places around the world so uh, it's it's definitely up there. What have you enjoyed most about your first experience of Melbourne? Man, um, everything. No, I mean, in all honesty, Melbourne is, is one of the best cities that I've been to. Uh, tremendously enjoy living in Melbourne because of everything that kind of goes on, from the food to the events. Um, and then last but certainly not least, the, the fan support that we've been getting. Uh, as a team, me personally, uh, it's just been tremendous. You know, it's, it's it's a group of people that really care about, one, their community and their region of the city, and, and also us as players. And so they go above and beyond to make sure that we feel supported uh, and loved. And so uh, it's, it's always an honor to be able to go out and play in front of the best fans in the NBL, in my opinion. So um, big shout-out to the uh, Southeast Melbourne uh, Phoenix fan base. The big supporters, particularly given that the club is or the team is still in its infancy when it comes to the NBL. Uh, great to have you on, Alan. Really appreciate it. Good luck with the Kings tomorrow night. All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Alan Williams joining us from the southeast Melbourne Phoenix. They're important. They are sitting at a precarious position on the ladder. They're sitting in fourth, but it has been a tough season where they have had to display a lot of resilience and the, the standards that they hold themselves to, as we alluded to in that conversation, as the leaders of the team, Mitch Creek and Alan himself, try to hold up the, the standards and and make these teams incredibly strong so they do become a force as we get to the pointy end of the season. This is SEN Morning. Still to come on the McCafe menu, Caleb Jewell from the Hobart Hurricanes will join us. We'll uh, go to David in Frankston, who's been waiting very patiently on the line. Good morning to you, David. Hi, Coxie. Thanks for taking the call. All good. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well. Look, uh, with all the talks about TV rights and uh, et cetera across uh, all codes, football, cricket, uh, basketball, whatever you'd like to name, um, what COVID has taught us is the importance of the crowds. Now, there's been an increase in technology, not only what they can do, but TVs at home are fantastic now with high definition, et cetera. People have got 75-inch screens. Why do they want to go to the bloody cricket and pay top dollar for everything and get ripped off? Um, so a bit tongue-in-cheek here, but it's, there's a sort of balance to be gained here. They better start playing the average Joe Blow to attend these games and look after us a bit better. And as you're right, it's not just cricket, and we're talking cricket this morning because of their new TV rights deal with uh, Seven and Fox Sports, or it's an extension of the agreement that they've already had. But you're right, there, there's been a, a tendency for, for lower crowds, or at least, you know, you still get bigger crowds to the, the bigger games, but the smaller games don't attract as many people. And I suppose that lends itself to the overall experience that you want to have at the sporting event. The price is definitely an issue. Getting to the grounds and accessibility is becoming more and more of an issue as well. And maybe we are just more comfortable now with the technology that we do have in front of us to be able to consume sport. 
wonder what what would be required to change to change our behaviour to attract us back to sport if it's not a big game if it's just a it's just a game that doesn't have much on the line why w- would you want to go for it or w- attend it oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen if you've got a thought on that front thanks Dave appreciate the call this morning let's catch up with the news headlines now with Anna in the newsroom. Thanks, Anna. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Matthew Cox with you today, the 3rd of January. A few off the 40 Winks temper texts. Gia asking, does Foxtel get all BBL games? And then uh, John also says, was wondering if you could confirm for me if KO has lost the streaming rights for the test matches. The latest rights announcement seems to indicate that seven now has it. No, they haven't lost. Uh, all uh, men's one-day international, T20 internationals will continue to be shown on Foxtel and KO Sports, while those pat- platforms will also carry 10 exclusive BBL matches that will include a Super Saturday series. Super Saturdays. There's a common theme here running with, uh, if you look at the AFL's broadcast rights, I mean, that new one kicks into gear in a couple of years' time. It's a similar sort of thing. So Foxtel and Cow will show every game from men's and women's international and big bash cricket. That includes all men's limited overs internationals and the 10 exclusive BBL matches. Seven and seven plus will show all men's tests or women's international matches, a minimum of 23 WBBL matches, and 33 of the 43 BBL matches, including three BBL finals. So that is how it is broken down. So it's essentially the same as what we are currently consuming with uh, cricket in this country in terms of it being shared between Seven and Fox Sports and the, the white ball cricket with only with Fox and KO to that extension. Seven only having the test matches and a number of BBL, so 33 of the 43 BBL matches. The season will be shortened by 18 matches, though, so that evens out the ratio a little bit, and Seven do get the opportunity to also be able to stream on their digital platform, Seven Plus, in extension to KO. So that's uh, hopefully clears some questions that are coming through off the 40 Winks Temper Text. Temper, a mattress like no other. Andrews in Nidri. Got a comment to make about the overall experience about attending sport that we just had with uh, Dave moments ago. Morning to you, Andrew. Uh, good morning and happy new year to yourself and all the workers at uh, SCN. Thank you. Same uh, to you. It's a, great, good, it's a good start to the year when, we, we, when I'm going to complain. <laughs> um, we, <laughs> went to, we went to the races on New Year's Day, you know, like um, and we, uh, at Flemington. Uh, and this is at Mooney Valley too, so we go to Mooney Valley as well. But so events where it's only card only, uh, you can't buy anything without a, a credit card or a savings card or debit card. Uh, they don't accept cash, and, and and that's a very bad way of dealing with uh, customers. Um, and I think it's in, in actual fact, I think it's bordering on illegal not to accept um, Australian tender uh, at any at any uh, outlet. Um, and that really leaves a sour taste in my, you know, um, even though it doesn't worry me to use the cards in the sense that we do use the cards, but um, I think you should be, uh, there was people there who didn't have cards and they went out to buy things and um, they had to uh, put things back because they didn't have a, a credit card or debit card or savings card. They only had cash on them. They weren't aware. And it's just not good enough. It's not good enough. Um, 
There's no reason for it. There is no reason for it. And I think Ticketek's taken over the um, entry booth as well at, at the um, at the entries of Flemington. They don't have um, workers, um, you know, so they basically you buy a ticket in the way in as well. Not a you don't you just can't um, pay um, your dollar. Yeah, well, I think a lot, a lot, well, both of those cases, at least to my knowledge, Andrew, are, are based on the the COVID legacy. This was oh. ways that we were we were had to operate because people didn't want to handle cash when we were going through the pandemic, and maybe they're just hanging on. They've realised that the technology is there, but I think I agree with you. Creating that option would certainly help with the accessibility of getting people to attend sporting events if we're trying to attract people you've got to make it the most attractive and if cash isn't an option for some that's a big issue and maybe it's worth just creating the option now that we're not fully in a pandemic anymore uh this is sen mornings for the hyundai tucson turbo diesel in stock now after the break we're going to catch up with caleb jewell from the hobart hurricanes he was the player of the match last night hobart needed a win they got it. Caleb is going to review that next with us here on SEN Mornings. Matthew Cox with you this morning. Yeah, it's going to be Jewel with a lap, and it's oh, yeah. well played. Nice and fine oh. for six. Sixer. That was the perfect lap shot. Well done, Caleb Jewel. None for eights. First over complete. That amount, you're not too bad. If you go for four or six, like this is a flat six over mid-wicket. Quite often a dart out the middle. Oh, yes. Oh, boy. Caleb Jules sweeping to the top of the hill. Caleb Jules going full little wizard. Full little wizard is how it was described on SEN Cricket Big Bash Nation's coverage last night of the Hobart Hurricanes seven-wicket win. And Caleb joined us on the line after his player of the match performance last night. Good morning to you, Caleb. Morning, mate. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. 54 off 28. It must have felt pretty good out in the middle. Yeah, it was nice. A um, little bit of a change. I've sort of been a bit shorter runs in the T20 format. So, yeah, it was nice to get away last night and put us off to a good start. You didn't feel any pressure opening ahead of Matty Wade and Darcy Short last night? Uh, not really. Well, I wasn't I wasn't meant to play at first. Then Shadow was laid out. So I sort of just took it as a bit of a free hit. And it's sort of nice having those guys behind me. So if I do get out, then they can sort of pick it up. Did you feel as if the pressure was off you then if you were called in late to the to the team to play last night and that you could have a bit of freedom and just focus on, on playing the game that you wanted to? Uh, a little bit. I think last game I was probably a fraction tentative, hence why I probably only went to run a ball. So I sort of made a bit of a conscious effort if I did get another opportunity to, to play a bit more positively and it came off last night. Did it feel easy out in the middle? The, the strikers made uh, six for 177 from their 20 overs and you chased that down inside 18 overs. Did it feel as easy as it looks on paper for you? Oh, I wouldn't say it was easy. Um, I, I think when you get a couple away early, it certainly um, frees you up and lets you play a few more shots. So um, it was a nice pitch and it was a nice um, short boundary on the league side for me. So I just tried to take advantage of that. Saddling up alongside Ben McDermott, how's how's his form going? Given that you witnessed him in action up close last night, yeah, last night. Um, obviously, I've batted a lot with him 
uh, for Tassie. Um, and yeah, he was he was awesome last night. Sort of my job a little bit was to take the pressure off him and let him just get into his innings, and then he sort of exploded once I got it out. So yeah, it was good to see. It's been a, an up-and-down year for the Hobart Hurricanes, probably not as successful as you would have envisaged. What's the, the mood been like around the group? It's been pretty positive, mate, to be honest. Um, we just haven't strung 40 overs together until last night. I feel like we, we've either batted really well and then haven't quite bowled how we would have liked and then vice versa. So, you know, it's a game of momentum and if we can sort of used last night to catapult us forward going into the rest of the tournament, then it's, yeah, good science. What do you feel you need to tinker with to ensure that you do get that consistency across the 40 overs? Uh, to be honest, I think it's just, you know, if we can keep getting off to a good start with the bat, we've probably lost early wickets um, and kept losing wickets throughout. So I think if we can keep a few in the shed, we've got so much power with Tim David and Asif Ali um, and Mitch Owen and that now in the middle that, you know, if we can sort of hold them back a little bit further than, you know, any, any scores achievable. You've got the, the strikers again at the Adelaide Oval and the Melbourne Renegades coming up. Are there two wins on the board there for you? Uh, I hope so. Hopefully we can continue on from last night and get a bit of momentum going into the back end of the tournament. Does it help that you, you've already played the strikers and now you've got some knowledge about what they are capable of and considering that you're facing them again so close together? Uh, oh, yes and no. I think, you know, we've all played against each other enough now to know what each team brings. So um, it's a little bit different playing against them so quickly, but, you know, it's a different ground and they might make a few changes and we might as well. So, yeah, not sure. Speaking to Caleb Jewell, player of the match last night in the Hobart Hurricanes, seven-wicket win over the Adelaide Strikers in the BBL. How's the summer been for you, Caleb? How have you felt? Have you felt comfortable? What, what are you feeling at the moment? Uh, it was, last night was a bit of a relief, to be honest. I think that in the other two formats, four-day cricket and, and the one-day cup, I've sort of cemented my spot at the top of the order, so it was sort of nice just to, I don't know, feel like it was my spot last night. And from your own perspective, what, what are you hoping to improve on in the back end of this BBL tournament? Is it to to solidify that, that spot at the top of the order or as part of this 11 or is there other elements of the game that you also want to work on? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, making that spot mine would be nice, but I think just playing a role and being aggressive at, at the top of the order and giving the middle order a bit of a chance to get into their innings. Um, we speak about in, impact more than numbers, so hopefully I can continue to have an impact like last night and be a little bit more consistent than I have in the past. Is your aspiration to one day don the national colours? That's a long way away for me. So as soon as I start thinking about that sort of stuff, it'll go downhill pretty quick. Is that important then to to focus on what's directly in front of you and try and not get swept up in all the other possibilities that may come your way throughout your career? Yeah. caught in that trap before, not necessarily Australia stuff, but just looking too far ahead. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's just worrying about the next game, and it's pretty cliche, but it's pretty important, um, especially in T20. It can get away from you pretty quickly with how fast the games come around. Well, for your sake, we hope that you can score another half century against the, the strikers in, in a couple of days' time and then face the Melbourne Renegades as well in the not-too-distant future. Appreciate you jumping on the line for us this morning after a, an impressive performance last like Caleb, and all the best for the rest of the summer. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Caleb Jewell from the Hobart Hurricanes joining us. Player of the match last night, 58 
of 28. I know there were some various reports this morning suggesting that Chris Lynn maybe should have got the uh, the player of the match mantle after what he achieved. But considering the, the late inclusion into the team and almost the, the steadying influence of that Hobart Hurricanes uh, innings to, to help set them up for the, the run chase... Caleb Jewell, player of the match last night. Four fours, four sixes, 54 off 28. You're listening to SEN Mornings. Matthew Cox with you this morning. We'll get, read out some of your 40 Winks temper texts on the other side of this. There's been a variety of conversations that we've had this morning, so we'll address some of those on the other side of this. It's mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. Welcome back to Mornings here on SEN. Matthew Cox with you this morning. A quick check of Melbourne's weather. Currently 17 degrees, a morning shower or two expected today. That's all thanks to City Power, supplying powered homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. And this summer, play Who's Got the Power with Tyre Power and SEN. Just guess the number of boundaries in each test and you could win a $100 ballpark entertainment voucher and a $100 tyre power voucher. Place your guess now at iCanWin.com.au to go into the draw to win those prizes. Off the 40 Winks temper text, we've been uh, speaking a little bit about the broadcast rights and also being attracted to attending a a match. And uh, Andrew Nidri brought up or raised before the fact that there wasn't much on offer in terms of cash options. You had to pay by card at the New Year's Day races at Flemington. Uh, Hayden off the 40 Winks temper text says, I agree with Andy, but unfortunately every establishment has the right to accept card only and refuse cash their call. And Bruno says, because Flemington does not take cash, we all went to Hanging Rock instead. I bet you enjoyed the, the day up there too, although it would have been quite warm and hot um, up there on New Year's Day. Uh, Regarding the broadcast rights, the Cricket Australia deal with Seven West Media and Fox Sports that has been officially announced uh, this morning. Uh, Big L says this, regarding broadcast rights, the NBL was booming in the early 90s. It then thought they could do better with the TV rights. They switched from 7 to 10. 10 didn't have a clue with how to deliver games. The game suffered badly and instead of growing the game, they almost killed it as it was a number of clubs folded. Uh, part of the reason the, uh, the BBL is not attracting spectators is because of the very limited exposure from free-to-air television. The parties simply get too greedy. I can understand that argument and the fact that it, it does diminish the ability to provide exposure for games. And I know there are various sports that are in that position at the moment, but unfortunately, that's the trend that we're heading to. And Matt from Tweed Heads asks, uh, under the new deal, will test matches be available for streaming on the 7 Plus app? Currently, they aren't. And with no TV reception and no paid subscription, it means I can't watch them. Yes, 7 Plus will have access, but it is from the next broadcast rights agreement. So I think that begins in 2024. So you might have another summer without it. But in the not-too-distant future, 7 Plus will also have access to Test Match Cricket as part of the new broadcast rights announcement. Glenn McGrath is going to join us ahead of the pink test at the SCG on the other side of the news. 
Welcome back to Mornings. Matthew Cox with you today here on SEN. Great to have your company and it is great to have the company as well of Glenn McGrath, the co-founder and president of the McGrath Foundation, who are heading in to their 15th pink test at the SCG. It starts tomorrow, day three, the all-important one for the pink test. Glenn joins us on the line. Good morning to you, Glenn. Yeah, good morning, Matthew. Fifteen years after it was first established, the pink test. Does it surprise you how big it has become? Yeah, it's been absolutely incredible. I think back to that first one in 2009, we didn't know what to expect. And as each day went on, it just got bigger and better. And just the way everyone got behind it, from Cricket Australia to the you know the SCG Trust to the players to the uh, corporates, broadcasters, but especially the crowd, um, has created something very special. And each year it seemed to got bigger and better. And here we are, 15th pink test uh, and just going incredibly well. So, yeah, something very, very proud of. And how proud are you of the fact that it has done so much, particularly for the Breast Cancer Foundation, in raising awareness for what is a, a really crippling disease for so many? Yeah, I guess, you know, from personal experience with my late wife going through breast cancer and um, when she was diagnosed in 97 um, and then again in 2003, the difference was there was a breast care nurse there and the positive difference it made in our lives, but especially Jane's, was incredible. We soon realised there was not enough of these amazing people out there. So we launched the McGrath Foundation in 2005 with two very clear objectives. One was to raise awareness of breast cancer, also in younger women because Jane was only 31, but the main I guess, focus was to raise funds to place breast care nurses in communities right across the country. And, you know, to be sitting here now, we have 193 nurses and they've supported over 118,000 families across the country. Just blows me away. 57 people a day are diagnosed with breast cancer in Australia. What still needs to be achieved in your eyes, Glenn, in, in terms of providing that support? Yeah, so you're right, 57 people a day, over 20,000 women a, a year are diagnosed with breast cancer, but also over 200 blokes are diagnosed as well. So it is something that can happen to guys as well, but predominantly women. Um, and our foundation is about providing support and having a positive influence on the lives of those people. And you know, our goal is that every person in Australia, no matter where they live, uh, has access to a breast care nurse, uh, free of charge, totally free uh, and self-referable. As I said, 193 nurses at currently. Our goal is to get to 250, and we feel that will cover uh, the whole country so people can have access to a breast care nurse where they live. Which is absolutely fantastic and something that the whole country can get a part of now as part of this pink test because of COVID. You had to get a little innovative in terms of what you could do to be able to get people and fundraise these important money that, to go towards the Breast Cancer Foundation. And the, the virtual pink seats, they're, they're back for this SCG test. Yeah, you're right. You know, adversity sometimes comes opportunity. And, you know, one of our guys at the foundation came up with the concept of the virtual pink seats. Uh, and it's been an absolute game changer. It's, uh, it's been an incredible initiative. People either at the ground, if they want to support it that way, or sitting at home. You know, they can jump online, pinktest.com.au, buy your virtual pink seat or, you know, a number of them, and then post, you get a graphic and you can post on your socials. So it's a great way to support uh, people going through 
breast cancer, whether you know someone or in your family or someone close to you. And I guess it's uh, it's just been incredible. So, yeah, now our goal this year is to, to sell 150,000 virtual pink seats, which means uh, over 2,100 2, families, in fact, will have the support of a McGrath breast care nurse this year if we can achieve that goal. And by getting one of those seats, it's not just an opportunity to participate in uh, raising funds, but it's also become an important factor in people being able to share their stories, offer support, share memories of loved ones that may have either gone through the battle or unfortunately have been lost to the disease and, and share thanks as well for those that have been able to support. It's a nice touch to what is a, a real community, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. And I hear on a daily basis people come up and tell me their stories and how a breast care nurse has made such an incredible difference. So, yeah, they tell their stories. They can buy seats for themselves, their family, their loved ones, the nurses or for people who are not here anymore. So, yeah, like you said, there's not too many families that haven't been touched in some way, shape or form uh, from breast cancer, whether it's a family member, close friend, been through or going through it. And this is the perfect way to support that and you know it's becoming a bit of a tradition people say yep i get my pink seats every year i post it but it's a great way for me to you know support a great cause in the mcgrath foundation but also to remember uh loved ones and, and you know people in their life and for those that are attending at the scg for this test match what can they expect to see over the course of the match yeah there'll be uh, guys There'll be people, volunteers going around, sort of tin rattling, even though people don't carry as much cash anymore. There's there's stacks of other things happening there. But on the field, you know, the Australians are playing so well. I, I'm predicting another another win. I'd like to see a, a, quite a close game. Um, South Africa, if they can, you know, really dig deep and, and give it, uh, be competitive against Australia, that, that would be good. And it's great to have South Africa here because they were at the inaugural uh, pink test back in 2009 so yeah a lot to uh, to enjoy at the match or even sitting at home and there's a nice little touch as well the coach of uh, Australia Andrew McDonald he also made his debut back in that test match back in 2009 so there's a nice little bit of synergy there as well yeah exactly we're saying this is uh, the pink test one to remember uh, we're going back through through the last 14 pink tests and everything that's happened there and yeah like you said um yeah, Andrew McDonald, the now Australian uh, men's cricket coach, made his debut back then. I had a good chat to him yesterday, and he's got a lot of fond memories from back there. And now being involved uh, uh, tomorrow, starting tomorrow, is incredible too. Glenn McGrath joining us in the lead-up to the pink test at the SCG, the McGrath Foundation co-founder and president, but also, Glenn, we, we need your help. Pat Cummins didn't offer us much when we spoke to him a little earlier about the uh, selection of the Australian team. Can you shed any light on what may unfold with the eleven? Well, I probably can share less because he's, he's in amongst it, but my, I can give you my thoughts on it. I think, um, you know, there, there's a... The choice between you know Scotty Boland, Josh Hazelwood, and um, Lance Morris to fill two spots. My gut feel is they'll, you know, they have to stick with Scotty Boland. He's just been an absolute uh, champion the way he started his Test career. Uh, so it'd be you know sad to see him left out. Josh Hazelwood I think deserves to come straight back in the team. He's been injured. He you know he wants a bit of uh, Test match practice under his belt or form under his belt leading into the India series which is coming up in the not too distant future 
Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I think Lance Morris will be left out. But, you know, everyone wants to see him play, you know, 150 kilometres an hour plus. The wild thing they call him, he is something special. So sooner or later, the Australian public will see more of him. Uh, but I think they'll take two spinners into this game, which mean they'll take uh, take just the uh, the two quicks plus Paddy, or three quicks with Paddy Cummins. For someone like Lance, and you're in a great position to be able to provide some insight on this, Glenn, to, to just be around the locker room and, and to feel a part of the Australian side while not necessarily playing, how valuable is that experience for someone who is trying to work their way through the ranks and, and reach their goal of playing for the country? No, it's incredibly incredibly valuable. Um, just being around the boys, seeing how they prepare, how they go about it. The Australian team's in a good spot at the moment. They're playing incredibly well. They're, they're winning. And that breeds a lot of confidence as well. So, yeah, that'll give uh, you know, Lance Morris a lot of confidence just being around the boys. They're quite inclusive. And you know, when someone raw pace like him, everyone's talking about him. Uh, yeah, he'll be, he'll be keen to go. So, yeah. Just being around the team is pretty special too. What do you make of this Australian team and what they've been able to achieve, not just in this South African series, but over the course of the last couple of years and the trajectory that they're on, given that India and England are, are waiting for them around the corner? Yeah, no, they've. Uh, I think they're they're in a good place at the moment. I, you know, the batsmen are, are doing their job. Um, you know, with the way. You know, David Warner's bounced back after a bit of a rough trot for a while. 200 minus Lobachain's been, you know, had an incredible summer. Usman Gouage is going well. Steve Smith, Travis Head's just really, you know, coming into his own. So the batting lineup is really going well. And the bowlers have been, you know, an incredible force for quite a few years. You look at those top three quicks in, in Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark have been doing the job. And Nathan Lyons, just world class too. So, yeah, there's no real real gap in that lineup, and they're playing with a lot of confidence. They're playing some really good cricket, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a good uh, matchup over in India, which is always tough for an Australian touring team. But I'm looking forward to the Ashes. England's been playing well, and I think that series is going to be an absolute beauty. Do you think we can conquer the Baz Ball phenom- phenomenon? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we can. Um, you know, it's going to be two quality teams going head to head to head, but. Um, you know, I think with the way Baz is, uh, you know, Brendan McCullum has been going over there. He's given the, the English boys a lot of confidence, allowed them to go out and play with freedom and play without fear. And it's amazing when you play without fear, you can, you know, you can achieve a lot of things. So hopefully the Aussies can take a leaf out of that book and it'll be an incredible series. Do you feel that that's the direction that Test Cricket is heading in in terms of the more risk-taking and the, the appetite to be a bit more aggressive? Well, I think when one-day cricket first came about, it had a positive impact on test cricket. Scoring rates went up. But now with T20, I think it's now showing batsmen and even bowlers what they can do if they back themselves and go out and play without fear. And, you know, they're scoring along at six, seven, eight, ten runs and over comfortably. Then, uh, yeah, I think that's translating into test cricket. And, you know, England are the ones to, to first do that. I think the other, uh, you know, a month or so ago, they... they batted for 100 overs and scored over 600 runs. So that's exceptional. And, uh, yeah, so test cricket to me is still the ultimate and we need to keep it fresh and people interested in it. Maybe this is the way to go. Are you then worried that it might be a bit diluted given what is occurring with T20 and one-day cricket or more so T20? 
Oh, I think one day cricket's probably more under the pump with uh, with popularity. Test cricket, I'd like to think, you know, the players still want to play test cricket. It's still the ultimate form of test cricket, uh, as of cricket, and it's a true test by its uh, by the nature. One day T Twenty cricket, everyone's playing. There's a lot of money around, and so I'd, maybe the two that'll be held in high regard still will be test one T uh, Twenties. One day is uh, probably one a little bit of And I think you'd be hoping for another dominant performance from Australia in the, the pink test to help set them up for the campaigns against India and England. As we let you go, how much or how confident are you that we're going to get the victory at the SCG? Oh, I think I'm uh, pretty confident the Australian team's been playing well. The South Africans probably not as well as we would have hoped. We thought it was going to be a very competitive series. I think they've struggled with the batting. They've got a quality bowling lineup, but uh, they really have to dig deep and find something, even if they're going to compete with the Australians. So, but I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a great pink test. Um, and I'll just take this opportunity to thank all the listeners for the support of the McGrath Foundation over the years. We can't do what we do without that support. So really appreciate it. And a huge thanks to you as well. And you can t- continue to support the pink test by heading to pinktest.com.au and purchasing your virtual pink seats. 150,000 of them are up for grabs. That's the goal that uh, the McGrath Foundation looking to achieve this year. Glenn, appreciate you taking the time to join us here on SEN Mornings and good luck with what's about to unfold over the next couple of days in particular. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. Glenn McGrath joining us here ahead of the pink test and uh, the McGrath Foundation, as you heard Glenn say, they're looking to make this one to remember. It's the theme of this year's pink test and you can purchase those virtual pink seats for $20 each at pinktest.com.au and share them with your story across your social media platforms. If you're going to the SCG, you can make a donation to receive a limited edition NRMA insurance pink test bandana. Up to five seats as well as group virtual pink seats are available that can be personalised and shared with the hashtag pink test and hashtag McGrath Foundation. Visit pinktest.com.au to find out all the ways you can get involved in the 2023 pink test to support the McGrath Foundation and make it one to remember. This is SEN Mornings. Matthew Cox with you. And just while, if you are heading to the SCG, make sure you do take along your phone and download the SEN app because you'll be able to listen to the play-by-play call of SEN Cricket's coverage of the third and final test match against South Africa. With no delay, SEN Stadium has arrived at the SCG. Your first opportunity to listen during this test match. So make sure you take the SEN app along, select SEN Stadium, and you will have play-by-play commentary with no delay. We'll run through a few more of your Tempo 40 Winks texts on the other side of this. Or you can give us a call as well, one 736 736 This is Mornings. Matthew Cox with you. Thanks to the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. Welcome back to Mornings here on SEN. Matthew Cox with you this morning. A check of Melbourne's weather. Currently 18.3 degrees. A shower or two this morning. Only between uh, 0 to 1 millimetres. Very precise, this weather update. Top of 20 degrees on the way today for City Power. Supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. The big story of the morning isn't the selection of the final 11 for the Australian team at the SCG 
test, but it is to do with the broadcast rights. A $1.5 billion broadcast deal has been agreed to and officially announced this morning between the Foxtel Group, Seven West Media and Cricket Australia. A seven-year deal that will take us through until the end of the 2030-31 summer there will be less Big Bash matches, 18. It'll be shortened to, or will be shortened by 18 matches, sorry. Uh, Channel 7 will broadcast 33 of the 43 BBL matches. They will also have streaming rights for its free 7 Plus platform when the new deal does begin. Uh, we'll continue to broadcast all men's tests, all women's international matches, a minimum of 23 WBBL matches in addition to the 33 of the 43 BBL matches. Men's One Day International and T20 Internationals will continue to be shown on Foxtel and KO Sports. Those platforms will also carry 10 exclusive BBL matches that will include a Super Saturday series. So it's essentially the same as what we are currently experiencing when it comes to the broadcast rights, apart from the fact that uh, 7 Plus will now also be able to show the matches of uh, what Channel 7 are covering. Uh, Off the 40 Winks temper text, temper a mattress like no other. Uh, Damien asks, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Channel 7 try to get out of the current agreement for the cricket rides because of the lack of interest? Yes, and they were actually taking them to the federal court seeking to terminate the last two years of the current six-year agreement. But as part of the announcement this morning, that has been withdrawn. All legal proceedings against Cricket Australia relating to the pandemic have been withdrawn. So no further legal action. The um, And given that the new rights agreement has been signed, uh, we will continue to see it without any further issues. So that was also part of the broadcast rights. It seems as though that relationship, while it looked to be on the rocks and some pretty heavy rocks there for a while, it seems as though it is now repaired. Uh, Bob and Alinda sent this through a little earlier. It's a shame. BBO was at its best and most popular when it was on Channel 10. I must say Channel 7 and Foxtel have improved their coverage this year. Hopefully they continue to improve. Well, the fact that they've now got them the rights until the end of the 2030-31 summer, I think is, would, to me at least, Bob, suggest that there will be a, a, well, a bit more weight increased into what they produce over the coming years. So I think an improvement in the telecast, at least from your perspective, would be on the horizon. Michael sent this through. Paramount have not invested in the technology for the A-League, so who is to say they would have done it for the cricket? That's off the back of a conversation we had a little earlier this morning where it was suggested that the Paramount app doesn't have the capabilities of, say, a KO, so that it would restrict people from viewing and that it wouldn't be too hard to have an upgrade to it, but they need the guarantee, at least in my eyes, to be able to make that investment in ensuring that the product is watchable and accessible. And Paramount and streaming and the streaming they do for the A-League is terrible to do and turns off for, uh, from tuning in unless my team is playing. I don't bother. When it was on Fox, I watched it all, same as I do now for AFL and BBL. So... Not uh, the greatest reviews coming in for Paramount Plus this morning. Let's check in with Anna in the newsroom. Anthony Rivado, not too far away. 
Welcome back to Mornings here on SEN. We're now joined by Anthony Rivado, the New York Giants writer for Empire Sports Media. He's also a podcast and YouTube creator for Fireside Giants to reflect on what the New York Giants have achieved. For the first time since 2016, they're through to the NFL playoffs and it was a demolition against the Colts yesterday. To reflect on that, Anthony's joined us on the line. Good morning to you, Anthony. Hey, how are you? I'm good. What what does this mean to have the Giants finally back in the playoffs and to do it in the manner that they did yesterday, Australian time? Well, it's really exciting to see that happen, especially considering the drought that this, this team has gone under over the last six years. Uh, first clinch since 2016, and what a turnaround we've seen from Brian Dable stepping in here as a rookie head coach bringing this team from 4-13 and 13 to clinching the playoffs with a week left in the regular season. Don't have anything to play for in Week 18, but if you look at the seeding, they have a chance to maybe play you know, a little bit of a upset victory football over the over the Eagles as they try and get the, the first seed locked in. So it'll be interesting to see if Brian Dable goes ahead and puts the starters in or if he rests them, gets them ready for the postseason. But it's a really exciting time to be a New York Giants fan. It is, as we already alluded to, first time since 2016. And there's been... Some turmoil along the journey as well, particularly over the course of the last 18 months or so. Can you just give us some detail on how this team has transformed into what it has become? Yeah, well, I think what we've seen is really an overnight transformation of the culture with the New York Giants. I think last year with Joe Judge as the head coach, obviously that didn't work out. Dave Gettleman as general manager, that didn't work out either. His stay was probably a bit too long for most Giants fans liking. And when they finally went ahead and fired Dave Gettleman, it seemed like a breath of fresh air (laughs) came over the, the fans and they really embraced the new management. Joe Shane is a younger general manager than Dave Gettleman was. He's more forward thinking. And so far, he's done an excellent job finding a lot of gems in the middle rounds of the drafts and in his first draft class. On the waiver wire, Isaiah Hodgins is someone that the Giants picked up midseason off the waiver wire from the Buffalo Bills. And he's made an instant impact. He's Daniel Jones's top receiving target now. And even Landon Collins reuniting with the team after years, he made it very clear he would never rejoin the Giants as long as Dave Gettleman was there. But as soon as he was gone and the culture radically shifted overnight, he was welcomed back with open arms. And as you saw against the Indianapolis Colts, a pick six from Landon Collins, he's playing great football. And it's really, you could tell that the players are inspired by the new culture that that Brian Dable, rather, and Joe Shane have set forth. And it's brought winning ways back to New Jersey and New York. So, again, very exciting time to be a Giants fan. And the players are clearly believing in the mission of Brian Dable. Was this success expected so quickly to make the playoffs in this first year, considering the change that the team has been through? No, absolutely not. I think most fans saw the season before it began as a rebuilding year. You know, when you're coming off of a 4-13 and uh, season and you have two top 10 picks, it's a very young team, and there was a lot of injuries in the preseason. Most fans expected that the Giants would show a little bit of improvement, maybe get five or six wins rather than four from last year, but they definitely didn't foresee a playoff appearance. That was a very pleasant surprise, and again, it speaks volumes to the leadership capabilities of Brian Dable and his staff. Anthony Rivado joining us here on SEN Mornings. Anthony, Daniel Jones, he's been a little maligned amongst both fans and, and I suppose media as well. 
he dominated yesterday to the point where fans were, were chanting his names. It's almost as though he's gone through this transformation process as well. Yeah, and Daniel Jones is really having an excellent season. Maybe not statistically. He's not throwing a bunch of touchdowns. His yards are about average, middle of the road for an NFL quarterback. But when you look at the talent around him, I mean, this is a wide receiver core where the four projected starters going into the season are all off the field. Kenny Galladay's been benched. Sterling Shepard is out for the year. Wandale Robinson out for the year. And Kadarius Toney was traded midseason. So you're having a bunch of fifth and sixth string players and even waiver wire pickups as his starting receivers He's making the most out of what he's got. And I don't think there's a quarterback right now that's doing more with less. So Daniel Jones has been excellent this year. It was a dominant display against the Colts, arguably the best performance of his career. And it's taken him some time to finally come along and prove himself to be a quality starting quarterback. But the overnight success that he's had with Brian Dable running the offense along with Mike Kafka, I think that speaks volumes because maybe Daniel Jones wasn't the issue and the coaching staffs that he had prior were so you see, as the Giants got a new coaching staff that everyone believes in and has proven to already be a very solid staff, Daniel Jones is having a career year, and so are many other players. Do you feel as if that will secure him for a significant period of time with the Giants, given the success in this first season? Yes, I absolutely do. I think that when you look at the success that he's had under Brian Dable, there's reason to believe that that success will continue for the next few years, at least. Of course, the Giants didn't have their full belief in Daniel Jones heading into the season. They declined his fifth year option. So this was another prove it year for him, a, a contract year. And he had a career year and a contract year. So whenever that happens, you pretty much always earn that contract. And now some reports are coming out that the Giants do, in fact, plan on extending both Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. So it seems like Brian Dable really believes in what he has at the quarterback position. And we know that Brian Dable is kind of a quarterback whisperer. We saw what he did when he was the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen. And it seems like he's found another talent that he thinks he can develop into a franchise quarterback with Daniel Jones. And I absolutely believe that the the Giants are going to go ahead work out an extension with Daniel Jones and make him the future of New York. It's a good good year or good time to be in some good form, that is for sure. And you alluded to Saquon Barkley there. How important has his return been for the Giants in this revitalization? Well, yeah, this is a version of Saquon Barkley that we really haven't seen since his rookie season. Now, the past few years have been plagued with injury for Saquon Barkley. He's dealt with a whole lot. And, of course, the coaching staff overturned year to year. It hurt Daniel Jones, but it hurt Saquon Barkley as well. And now seeing him have a resurgent season, staying healthy, and being a workhorse running back for the Giants has been excellent. He's gone for already a career high in rushing yards. Hasn't been as involved in the passing game as most expected him to be, but it doesn't matter when he's taking 35 carries for 150 yards in any given game. So he's been excellent. And I think just the fact that he's been such a dynamic playmaker for the Giants proves that running backs do matter. There's always discourse around how valuable that position is. But I think you're seeing right now in full display, I don't think the Giants would have as many wins this season as they have right now without Saquon Barkley. So he absolutely does matter and he'll be around for the long term. Anthony Rivado, the New York Giants writer for Empire Sports Media, joining us here on SEN Mornings. The only controversy to come out of yesterday's win against the Colts, which was a 38-10 to 10 scoreline, involved Nick Foles on the opposition and then the celebrations. Can you walk us through how you interpreted what happened and then what has unfolded with some comments that have been made, some strong comments that have been made on the other side of the fence? 
Yeah, so of course you're referring to Kayvon Thibodeau comes up with a big clutch sack uh, of Nick Foles, but unfortunately knocks him out of the game with a rib injury. Now, I think it's pretty clear that Kayvon Thibodeau didn't notice that Nick Foles was injured. I think we all noticed watching from home on the television, he was in a lot of pain and it was rather obvious, but Thibodeau never even looked his direction. He laid down on the floor, started doing snow angels. Uh, Not the best look. Optically, it looked terrible. It looked like very poor sportsmanship, but when you really watch it, it doesn't seem like Thibodeau knew exactly what he was doing. And since then, he's made a comment, said that he didn't see Nick Foles in pain, and of course, wishes him the best, as all Giants fans and all fans should. But it's just an unfortunate situation for Thibodeau, who's been playing so well, to find himself in a situation like that, that he didn't even realize he put himself in. Does the result on the weekend help, or the fact that the Giants are progressing through to the playoffs for the first time since 2016, does it help by the fact that across town they've been eliminated, and I refer to the Jets? Does does that help the rivalry and just spark a, a bit of fire in New York, given that both NFL teams haven't been performing great over the last few seasons? Yeah, well, the the Jets actually put in a pretty solid season. Of course, they had a bit of a collapse during the second half of the year. But overall, it's a great year for New York sports in general. And New York football is really on the up and up. So I think that there's a rivalry brewing. I believe that the Giants and Jets face off next season. So that'll be fun to see the MetLife Bowl take shape and see where the Jets are at. Because, of course, looking across town, as you mentioned, or across the, the field, rather, into the other locker room, seems like they might be having another change at quarterback. And... We'll see what exactly unfolds for them this offseason. But right now, of course, Giants fans are happy to have that edge over Jets fans and say, we made the playoffs and you guys didn't. That's really exciting. And yeah, there's a little bit of a rivalry there. But I think the rivalry that's more important to Giants fans is the one with the Cowboys, the one with the Eagles, the one with the Commanders. The Giants got a big win over the Commanders the other week, and that was excellent. Commanders not in the playoff race anymore. But those other teams, the Cowboys, The Eagles, they've already clinched their spot. So you've got three-fourths of the NFC East heading into the postseason. And it's going to be really interesting to see if we have any divisional matchups in the postseason that take shape because those will be intense and fun to watch. So final round is still ahead of us. And you alluded to the fact before that Brian could be playing a few games heading into the the weekend, potentially. Do Do you think he'll follow through and resting players or would you prefer to see that the team go out there full strength and dominate once again I would personally like to see the majority of the starters go out there and play I think that when you take a look at Philadelphia of course we don't want Philadelphia having any chance you know as a Giants fan we don't want them having any chance of going into the Super Bowl and potentially winning and the more games that they have to play the more opportunities they have to be eliminated. If the Giants are to beat them this upcoming Sunday, there's a chance that they don't lock in that first seed, and then that's an additional game in their playoff schedule that they have to win in order to make it to the Super Bowl. And of course, when you look back to 2007-2008, now that's the season that the Giants won Super Bowl 42 over the then undefeated New England Patriots. Week 17 of that season, the final game of of the year, the Giants faced off against the New England Patriots. It was the regular season finale, and they lost by three points, but they fought really hard. And that did two things for the Giants. Number one, it gave them a load of confidence heading into the postseason. They already clinched their spot. They were playing for nothing. They lost that game against the Pats, but they gained that confidence, and they went out there. They won every game in the postseason. And then the second thing it did for the Giants, it gave them the formula to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So I think that when you look at that and you look at this upcoming playoff run that the Giants are about to embark on, they have an opportunity here to go out there, 
fight hard against the Eagles, learn a thing or two. And if they happen to match up with them again in the postseason, in the divisional round or conference championship, they can find that blueprint in week 18 to go ahead and beat them in the postseason. So I think there's a lot of value in playing the starters and competing in this game. But of course, any of those players who are still dealing with injury, Adoree Jackson, Aziz Ojolari, Leonard Williams, those guys are a little bit banged up. They don't need to see the field. They should rest up and get ready for some playoff football. Can you see the fairy tale continuing? Or will it sharply come to a close? <laughs> well, unbiased perspective, it's likely to come to a close rather quickly. But that's what was said in 2007. That's what was said in 2011. The Giants have gone on historic Cinderella story Super Bowl runs before. And I have to say, this one does feel a little eerily similar to the one in 2007-8. Now, that season, you're talking about Eli Manning entering his fourth season. A lot of discourse. Is he a franchise quarterback? A lot of turnovers the year before. Didn't look the part goes into that season, actually, I think leads the NFL in interceptions that season, but still manages to pull off a Cinderella story and win the Super Bowl in his fourth season. Now you have Daniel Jones in his fourth season, coming off of a disappointing year with a bunch of turnovers and even some injuries. This year, he really turned it up, and now he's got his team in the postseason. So it looks like he could be having himself an Eli Manning moment, but again, don't want to get too far ahead of itself. As I mentioned earlier, Entering this season, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year. The Giants have far exceeded all expectations. Would I love to see them make a run and find their fifth Super Bowl in franchise history? Absolutely. But the likelihood of that happening is pretty slim. But then again, we've seen it happen before. We'll be either celebrating those comments or reflecting on the good old commentator's curse if it strikes when the Super Bowl does come around. <laughs> uh, well, it's actually this year now, isn't it? 2023. If the Giants don't win, what, what's your tip? What do you think will unfold in the Super Bowl? Well, I think that's going to be really interesting. The AFC seems wide open to me. You've got the Bills, who are very strong contenders. The Chiefs look as good as ever. Patrick Mahomes might be on his way to another MVP uh, trophy this year. And then in the NFC, it also looks wide open. The Cowboys have their weeks where they look unbeatable, and then they have their weeks where they lay a giant goose egg. So, And same thing with Philadelphia, Minnesota. They've been in a lot of close games, and they just got – uh, beat up by the Packers so it, it's going to be really interesting but if I had to take a guess right now I like Dallas coming out of the NFC if it's not the Giants of course <laughs> I think that they have a lot of depth on that team and some offensive firepower that's tough to compete with and on the other side of things I like the Buffalo Bills I think Josh Allen this is the year that he finally puts it together in the postseason he's got an improved roster around him and they're rolling so I could see a little rematch of a Super Bowl from the 80s between the Cowboys and the Bills. Well, we hope for your sake, though, the Giants are involved in this. Fairy tale does continue, given what they have been through, particularly over the last 18 months, but for the first time since 2016, back into the playoffs. Anthony, thanks very much for joining us here on SEN Mornings. Enjoy the last few weeks of what has been an enthralling NFL season. Yep, thank you so much for having me, and let's go Giants. Yes, let's go Giants. Anthony Bravado, the New York Giants writer for Empire Sports Media, also podcast and YouTube creator for Fireside Giants, reflecting on the New York Giants returning to the playoffs for the first time since 2016. We'll be back after the break here on SEN Mornings.